Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Hello everybody. How are you? My name is Ray and um, I am happy to be here. Of course, at my age, I'm happy to be anywhere. But I'm bummed. There we go. Um, what a wonderful place to be, this church. Adam was so right when he said at the very beginning of the worship set that there's just this, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And uh, if we can tune the mechanism to hear and feel and experience that, he's holding out to us this transcendent joy today. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, here we are in what the high church, well, we used to call it the high church, but now times have changed, probably shouldn't call it that, what the more litur- liturgical church calls. Um, they, they call it Eastertide. Um, and that is the period of time between Easter Sunday, which was last Sunday. Wasn't that good, by the way, to be together on Easter Sunday? Uh, between Easter Sunday and uh, Pentecost, which is 50 days away, uh, the, we continue to celebrate Easter. This in the Christian calendar. And, and when we say the Christian calendar, we're talking about 2,000 years of shared experience with people who exalt Jesus as Lord. In the Christian calendar, this is the time of feasting. This is the time when calories absolutely do not count. Have a donut every day. You're celebrating that he's alive. We don't just celebrate Easter uh, on Easter Sunday and go, he's risen, but we do it like right now. He's still risen. Uh, Checking in, you know, a week later, guess what? He's still risen. And uh, so we're going to be embarking on a series between now and I guess close to Pentecost in which we're dealing with profiles in resurrection, people who encountered the risen Jesus Christ. Now, it would have been amazing enough if Jesus, born, lived, tortured, died, buried, and resurrected, if he just you know, said, okay, there, I did it, you know, and strike the superhero pose, and then he just said, I'm out of here. But there's, there's some revelation about who he is that Jesus hung out with people after he was resurrected. I know, deep theology, right? But from the woman in the, in the tomb area who mistook him for the gardener of the cemetery to, uh, to Thomas that we'll talk about today, to many others, Jesus hung out with people. The one who defeated death, the one who demonstrated the favor of God and his own divinity, said, I'm not in a hurry to leave. I want to be with you. And can I just say that that's part of the word of God for you today, is Jesus wants to be with you, still risen, and he still wants to be with us. Uh, That's good news. Hi, Tess. How are you? Your husband here? Darn. Well, we're glad you're here. The visitor from out of town. You know, okay, well, uh, hey, hi. Um, So today we're going to talk about uh, this guy called Thomas. He's one of the 12 uh, uh, disciples that Jesus had selected. We we end up elevating him in name to the apostle 
Thomas. And at least in my generation among baby boomers, I don't know if it's so true among Gen Xers or millennials, but he also had the tag doubting Thomas. I don't know if that phrase is as much in use anymore as it, as it used to be. Um, but uh, this very Sunday that we're celebrating, the first Sunday after Easter, is the first time that uh, Jesus appeared to this guy named Thomas. Now, there were multiple resurrection accounts on Easter Sunday. Uh, there's the women at the tomb. There's the two guys that are walking downhill like seven or eight miles to a little town called Emmaus. And then there's the disciples who had gotten together behind locked doors because they were afraid they were next. Jesus appeared, appeared, appeared. Um, but then the, um, the biblical account tells us that when Jesus appeared to the disciples, that Thomas uh, wasn't with them. And uh, so he, he said and did some, I don't know, uh, really understandable things, right? So um, today, for our text, um, for our text, we're going to look in John's gospel, chapter 20 and 20, or we'll just, we'll be interested in chapter 20. But there are resurrection accounts in chapter 20 and chapter 21. It's like you get bonus stuff. And uh, so this is from the New Living Translation. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, whose nickname is the twin, um, was not with the others when Jesus came. And that would have been the Sunday evening Easter appearance. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound on his, wound on his side. Thomas was actually upping the ante because uh, the, the, the paragraph right before this in John's gospel said that Jesus appeared to the disciples and showed them his wounds. And he says, well, I want to see the wounds, but I even want to, you know, ooh, like check them out, right? Uh, eight days later, uh, the disciples were together again. And I know what you're thinking. I just know the way you are. You're thinking eight days. Why am I saying it was a week ago? The Jewish way of thinking is you always started counting on the day that it happened. So Easter Sunday, that's one. So then Monday is two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So although the text says eight days later, we're standing here 2,000 years later uh, on the very Sunday that Jesus appeared to Thomas. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So here we are, central Kentucky, a different continent separated not only by the Mediterranean Sea, but the Atlantic Ocean, no, not just separated by geography, but separated by two millennia of human experience. And Jesus is even speaking to us here when he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And so today I, I want to just use this passage. And, and what I want to do is, is I want to talk about five things from this passage. And then I want to talk about four attributes of Thomas then I want to talk about the 17 points of his physical resurrection and the 26 doctrinal points that everybody must believe in order to go to heaven when they die. So that's, that's kind of, so right, 
Five things from this passage, four things about Thomas, and then actually none of the other stuff, okay? <laughs> so um, do, do, do you happen to notice that, uh, that in the text that uh, Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see. Uh, I, I really, really like this, that Thomas is the kind of guy who has heard probably all week long, yeah, 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 Jesus appeared but I'm not going to believe un- unless I see it. Uh, what an amazing thing. Um, it's like he's folding his arms. He's refusing to buy into their joy. Um, and yet there was room for somebody like Thomas in this group. Uh, they didn't say, pal, you know, get, you know, get with the program or you're a total buzzkill or this is the price of entry into our very special room is that you believe what we've experienced. Um, what does it say about the relationship of these 11 men? And these, this would have been just you know, like the guys club. What does it say about their relationship that somebody could say, no, nope, no, nope, not gonna believe, unless I see it too. Um, I have to ask myself, even today, whether I could express my doubts so openly. Right? Because here's the thing. We're going to be talking in general about faith and doubt. And do you realize that faith in a social setting, and that means the church, that faith brings a powerful pressure to conform, to get with the program. You know, the preacher stands up and says, you know, amen? And everybody's supposed to say amen back, right? Um, There is this powerful sociological pressure to fit into the group. If, if your group is a circle, you need to be inside the circle because inside the circle is different from the people outside of the circle. And so what does it say, both about Thomas, that he has the strength of character to say, no, I'm not going there, or at least not yet. And then what does it say about the other guys? Now, Judas had killed himself. So uh, math major here. Uh, there were 12 disciples. Judas kills himself. Thomas, there's 10 other guys. And it's like they don't say, well, we're going to kick you out of the club. Um, That says something about Christian community. What it says is that this pressure to conform is not actually required to be a part of community. So we may be here today, I may be here today, thinking that, you know, if I don't parrot the company line, then, you know, people are going to think ill of me. Uh, We have a bold pastor in Pastor Adam. He's told this story from the pulpit before that while he was pastor here, that he went through a dark night of the soul that lasted for, what, 28 years or something like that? A couple of years? A couple of years. Sunday by Sunday, uh, sharing the word of God, really anointed and in a real life in it. But inwardly, what was going on in Pastor Adam was, I don't know about all this. But you understand that that's a high-risk proposition if your job is pastor of the church. Um, Well, here's Thomas, and he's saying, I I won't believe. So I need to ask myself, could I express my doubts so openly? Um, What would happen if I did express my doubts so openly? And about what can or should I express my doubts? Now, I, I came to Jesus back during something ancient history called the Jesus Movement, It was the summer of 1970. Uh, I was part of house churches. I wasn't part of any sort of organized uh, denominational 
church. And me and my friends, we would read the Bible and we'd go, wow, that's weird. And then someone would go, no, that, that can't be right. And then, and then we would just go on. And actually what it did was it saved me from having spiritual indigestion because I wasn't required to swallow the whole darn thing at once. It was like, okay, that's weird. Well, we'll just put that aside. And so I could digest a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. And uh, as one of my best friends says, there's still things he doesn't believe in the Bible. You know, like when Samson uh, captures a bunch of foxes and lights their tails on fire. And a friend of mine who grew up in Kentucky says, are you kidding me? Do you know how hard it is to catch even one fox? And Samson caught like a hundred of them. And it's like, so I'm not sure I believe that. Well, that guy could never be pastor because he doesn't believe the Bible, right? Okay, so the first point of the five from this text that I want to get across is how bold, how healthy, what an example we've been given that it's okay to express our doubts openly. It's good for the community. More importantly, it's good for us. Because if our Christian experience is all about a facade where we say one thing, but we think or feel or do another, um, well, I'm no psychologist, but that's, that's got to be some sort of psychosis where you've got this front, but then you live this internal life. So better to be real, you know? Better to be real. All right. So um, he replied, I won't believe, and then he says, unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, and unless I put my fingers in those, and I put my hand up into his side. So can we count the wounds from resurrection? Uh, probably the nail would have gone through the wrist. The Greek word uh, for hand can, can mean any of that. So you got one, you got two. The feet were like this. There's three. And then just to make sure Jesus was dead, they took this spear, which would have had a really big spearhead, and they jammed it up right underneath the rib cage, up into the lung cavity, and out spills a combination of some sort of clear liquid and uh, blood. So, so these are the scars. Now, uh, Adam did a good job last week talking about um, uh, the significance of those scars. But how about this for Thomas? He not only says, I won't believe unless I see it. He says, I'm the kind of guy who has to touch, taste, feel, handle. I've got to experience it viscerally. You know, Oogie experience number one, putting your hand into anybody's wound, much less somebody who is resurrected from the dead, much less somebody who is God come to earth. Um, but I, I, I love this about him. It's like his standard for believing is not the same as somebody else's standard for believing. Aren't you glad that it's kind of a graduated scale? You know, can we just start with, there's a creator. I mean, we're not, we don't have to do anything more than that. Like, well, how'd we get here? How many billion years old is the earth? Blah, 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 blah. Fight, 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 fight. No, it's just like, well, we're here and somebody or something was behind it all. That's a graduated scale. All the way up to, as uh, Francis Schaeffer used to say, well, he's there. He continues to be there. He's not an absentee landlord. And he is not silent. He is still speaking. And then the fullness of the revelation of who God is, which is um, that in the person of Jesus Christ, the love of God and the person of God is, is fully manifested uh, before us. But for Thomas... He required a different level of belief. And you may be that way. Um, you may be that way. And that's okay, right? 
It's not about getting 97.4% on your theology test. Um, It is about coming deeper and deeper and deeper into a relationship with the God who is there. And what does that mean? Well, I'm still figuring that out myself. Um, So uh, I love that. The second point then is that Thomas ups ups the, the, the scale. Um, I've already mentioned that the text says eight days later, right? So eight days is actually one week. Um, aren't you glad he didn't get kicked out of the club? Aren't you glad that they didn't ostracize him or that he didn't ostracize them? Like, man, those guys are delusional now. Apparently, relationship was so important. He had, he had lived, walked, eaten, camped, uh, experienced life with these guys for three, three and a half years, something like that. And you don't throw that away quickly. There are people in this room where it wouldn't matter, like, wouldn't matter what they would do. I wouldn't feel the liberty to throw away the relationship just because of one action. It's like, it's not mine to dispose of. I mean, I realize we live in plastic wrap society and you know, cardboard packaging society, um, but relationships are, are not disposable. I love that the church, I think, has largely made this transition, I hope, and that is that it used to be that you had to believe and then you could belong. And now the church has come, belong, until you find your way to belief. And I'm, and I'm so, so glad of that. But there's another point about these eight days. <coughs> Springtime in Kentucky. Um, there's another point about these eight days. Uh, apparently Jesus wasn't in a hurry just because Thomas didn't believe. Uh, Jesus comes and goes on his own timetable. This is an amazing thing to me. Um, I'm I'm kind of a people pleaser. I'm a little bit, a lot of bit insecure. And so if it had been me that was the savior of the world, and aren't you glad it's not, um, (laughs) then I would have said, oh, oh, one of my guys doesn't believe. Well, you know, I got to like show up. Well, Jesus shows up when and how he wants to show up. And uh, he, he, lets, he lets Thomas kind of marinate in that, that brackish world between the people I know and trust the most are telling me something that just absolutely doesn't make sense. Um, that's, that's an amazing thing. Um, so this is part of, uh, of what's going on, is that Jesus doesn't show up just because we stamp our feet. But equally amazing is that Jesus does show up even when we don't have it completely right. So he says, I won't believe. This is what I need. Here's where I'm at. And that doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, well, I've had it with you. Talk to the hand, pal. But Jesus also says, well, I'll come when I'm ready. What do you think went on? I don't know. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not here to preach it. What do you think went on inside of Thomas during those eight days? I mean, uh, for everything from feeling left out and not part of the club to, you know, why is my faith experience not like yours? You know, I've got people, uh, there's a pastor I was on the phone with this week. The guy has visions out the wazoo. He, you know, he, and I, and I believe him, okay? So I'm not denigrating it. But, you know, he says, I, I hear a voice and, a, and I go through a vent in a, in a hotel room and I come out the other side and I'm in the third heaven and it's this and this and this. And first of all, I, I mean, I'm that medieval. I, I'm totally down with all that. But I go, I, I haven't had any visions, right? 
what do you think was going on in Thomas? What goes on inside of us when other people's faith experience seems to be way more vivid, right? You know, like sometimes you get in these really charismatic meetings and people are flopping around like fish. Some of it might be emotionalism. Some of it might actually be the Holy Spirit. And you, you can't sort it out your own self anyway. <coughs> oh, sorry. You can't, uh, you can't sort it out anyway. But it's like, well, my experience is different. Um, can I tell you that I've had a couple of transcendent moments with God? But I can't say that I've ever had anything supernatural happen with God, unless you count speaking in tongues, and we all know people that do that are crazy, <laughs> right? So uh, I, had, I had a professor at Illinois State. He used to teach at Wheaton. He woke up one day, and he said, I don't believe any of this. So he left Wheaton College, you know, the, the pinnacle of, of evangelicalism, started teaching philosophy at Illinois State. And so, you know, me, undergraduate, like, you know, I'm going to really, you know, pin this guy down. I said, well, you know, what about the, you know, the aspects of the supernatural? And he grinned at me and he said, well, you know, there's nothing supernatural about speaking in tongues. My mother does it. <laughs> and it was ipso facto. It was like, well, then, of course, what? It can't be supernatural if my mother does it. I wonder if he had said, well, you know, there's nothing supernatural about flying around in the sky. My mom does that. So... Smart, smarter than a philosophy professor. Okay. All right. So there's the eight days later in the text. Um, Adam dealt with the, the, uh, the fourth point, which is that, uh, that he wanted to put his finger into the, you know, the VHS hole inside of Jesus. Uh, he, he wanted to experience Jesus in a visceral way. Can, can I just say this, maybe to add to what Pastor Adam shared? It is okay to want to have an experiential faith. There is nothing wrong with that. And if for some reason you feel like that you have for some, some measure of time been on the outs because you haven't had an experiential faith, uh, that doesn't disqualify you and your desire is still valid. But keep in mind that Jesus comes eight days later whenever he wants and however he wants. And so I've prayed with people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, going back to the really charismatic days, and then had them tell me a month later, I woke up in the middle of the night, a month later after I prayed for them, and the Holy Ghost was all over me, right? So it's all right to desire to have a visceral experience with God, but it's, it's not a requirement, and um, God is going to do what he's going to do when he wants to do it, okay? So that was the fourth point. And then maybe the most wonderful thing about this entire exchange is that after Thomas does all of this, the text says that Thomas says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Now, for the resurrected Jesus, this is the first acknowledgement of the Lord's divinity on earth. No one else has said, you are God. They've, you know, there's been, you know, you're the son of the living God, that had been done. Um, but here is Thomas, and, he, and, and the poll goes from total doubt to you are God in the flesh, the resurrected flesh, the really strange flesh. 
See, the good news is, is that if your faith experience has for some reason been resistant to things, just watch out because the tension on the rubber band is getting greater and greater and greater. And as God comes to you to whatever satisfaction that you need or require, all of a sudden that rubber band's going to like snap and you're going to go from way over here and go way over here and you're going to be like, oh my God, like OMG. And, and it'll be him you're talking to, right? It's the original OMG moment. So these are, it's true. Yeah. I didn't even mean to say that, I'm sorry. Okay. So there's some questions here that we should ask. We should ask, can I really express my doubts so openly? Is it okay to want the same experiences that other people have? You know, you can come down, by the way, yes or no on that, but the more important answer is, why do I want the same experiences that other people have? That's between you and the gentle, nurturing Holy Spirit. Am I frustrated when things take longer than they expect? Am I frustrated? Um, I, I was reading when I was an undergraduate, which is like 100 years ago, uh, I was reading that um, healing, physical healing, is in the atonement. So therefore, whatever your malady is, then since Jesus has died on the cross, you can get healed, guaranteed, right? And I thought to myself, as I was reading that, uh, and I had my glasses on, well, you know what these indicate. These glasses indicate that these eyes are not perfectly functioning, right? Sophomore year in college, I take my glasses off. I put them down on the desk and I begin to testify to everybody, Jesus healed my eyes. Because what are you gonna believe? Your lying symptoms or the word of God, right? Right, you're gonna believe the lying symptoms or the word of God. I testified for three years that Jesus had healed my eyesight. People go, oh, praise the Lord, isn't that wonderful? Um, I, it's that powerful social pressure to conform to whatever club that you're in, right? And finally, I was driving home one night from somewhere, and, and I'm supposed to wear those when I drive, and it's nighttime, and it's, and it's worse, and one of my best friends says, that's BS about your eyes, isn't it? And he says, because you've almost killed us like three times. Okay? So do we, you know, I'm still waiting. Jesus healed my eyes. Well, I guess in a way he did. Oh, I just went meta, right? And then finally, and then finally, Thomas comes to this point. He says, my Lord and my God. The purpose of doubt is actually to bring us to belief. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. You see, doubt is like, well, I don't know, and I, I still have so much churning in me, and I want so much. I mean, it's, it's both emotional as well as intellectual, and it's okay. Unbelief is when Jesus shows up and says, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you go, yeah, not impressed, right? And you understand that some of us, depending on the way we've been raised, the intellectual milieu in which we're a part, that we begin to say things like, well, who can really know anything, right? So the skeptics and the cynics of the world, the, the dead man and the cynical too are coming out of their graves just for you. We sang it in worship today. The purpose of doubt in God's loving hands 
is to snap the rubber band and to bring us into a moment where we feel like we're in the presence of God. You, you should welcome your doubts, but Philip Yancey said something that changed my life forever. He said, he said he was skeptical by nature until he realized that he could doubt his doubts as well as he could doubt the orthodoxy of the church, right? You know, it's as if, as if doubt is some sort of higher, more pure type of intellectual process. Well, no, we can, we can say, well, you know, well, what if my doubts are all wrong? What if I've been conditioned culturally to doubt? What if I'm afraid of the possibilities on the other side of doubt, right? So, so we can do that. All right. Um, so there's our text. Um, and like I say, I think just among the boomers, we still call him Doubting Thomas, but I want to suggest in these last few minutes a couple of other identities for Thomas. Because there's a reason that he stuck with those guys, and there's a reason those guys stuck with him. So for example, when uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus was really, really sick, and everybody's saying, Jesus, you need to go to like Bethany, which is right next to Jerusalem, and you need to heal Lazarus. Well, the word on the street was they're going to kill Jesus if he ever gets anywhere near Jerusalem. And this same gospel from which we're reading, John's gospel, says that it's Thomas who says, well, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. So when Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to go to call forth Lazarus from the tomb, which none of them knew about at the time, it's, it's Thomas who goes, yeah, I guess it's time to die with him. He's kind of like Eeyore for grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's Thomas the loyal. He's Thomas the faithful. He's Thomas the puddle glum. I mean, C.S. Lewis, you should read it. It's incredible, right? Do you know how much we need Eeyores and puddle glums in the church? There's something missing at this vineyard if people cannot express the, the limits of their faith. You know, if, if you're at whatever percent to, by the way, God's infinite, so there is no 100%, it's infinite percent. Wherever you are along the scale, if we can't express that, if we can't be Eeyore or Puddle Glum, the church is actually missing something. We, we welcome, we welcome people that are along any point in this path. We welcome that. So he's Thomas the loyal, Thomas the courageous. He's the Thomas that puts honesty above faith. I'm the guy who says, Jesus healed my eyes. Total lie, right? But the powerful faith pressure to conform, right? But not him. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, this would have been the Thursday night before the Friday crucifixion, Jesus says, you know where I'm going. And Thomas goes, <clears throat> it's in John 14. Uh, excuse me, we don't know what you're going, where you're going and we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus says words that have changed and shaped my life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If, if Thomas hadn't spoken up and said, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way, I would not have like one of the foundation stones of my faith. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, the older I get, the less I know exactly what that means, but the more dear it becomes to me. So he's Thomas the loyal. He's Thomas the courageous. He's Thomas 
the honest. He's Thomas who puts relationship above orthodoxy uh, and his friends are as well. So that, you know, it's not like, you know, well, you're either in the circle or you're out and there's a borderline. So it's us or them. You know, Bono's got it right. There is no us. There's no them. There's only us. There we go. (laughs) Right? And then, of course, finally, he's Thomas the martyr. This is a man who, after Jesus is ascended to the Father, this is the man who takes the good news of Jesus Christ, the direction we don't expect. We've we've heard of the Apostle Paul taking the gospel to, um, uh, to what we call now modern Europe. Thomas took the gospel to the east. He went first through Persia and then all the way to India and took the gospel to India and there he was martyred. Do you know that by the second century there were people as far as Chennai, as far as the Indus River, who were praising the name of Jesus and it was because this guy who said he wouldn't believe and then said, my God, my Lord and my God became a faithful servant even unto death. So we could aspire in these profiles of resurrection, we could aspire to not much higher than to being like Thomas, right? I'd encourage you in the coming weeks, read these resurrection accounts, not with only an eye to Jesus, but also with an eye to who are these people? Jesus came not only to save people, but to be with people. And the testimony of these profiles in resurrection is that he wants to be with them and now with us. All right, so do we have a ministry team that's going to help us out today? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of The Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at The Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.